So, alright, so good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our listeners here on Speed's podcast, Speak Out. So I am your host, Aki, a current member, or as they call us, people of Ateneo Speed. Today, for Speed's project, Aspire, we are going to talk about building inclusive workplaces in our own spaces. We're going to sit down and talk about how we build towards these inclusive workplaces and why we do so. As I've mentioned earlier, you are tuning into a part of our podcast series, Speak Out. Episodes 1 and 2, wherein the second one has been divided into three parts, have already been uploaded. So if you haven't li- already listened, it will always be on the page for first-time listeners and to those who may want to listen again. So just to reiterate, the purpose of this podcast aims to raise awareness about the PWD sector by having much-needed conversations about the advocacy. The podcast reads new life into a beloved initiative by providing a space for different members of the sector and adv- advocates to exchange insights by exploring various topics about these. Striving for a more inclusive society begins when we speak out. Today's episode is called Building Inclusive Workplaces in Our Own Spaces. So we have some interesting and relevant topics such as discussing more about understanding the concept of inclusivity and especially in the context of workplaces. We will go from answering the questions from hows, whats, and delve into the whys as well. From the previous episodes, we went into different perspectives towards this topic and now we look into an in-depth discussion of inclusivity. So let's get to meet our one and only guest for our episode of Speak Out today. So he identifies himself as a disabled person. Recently, he finished his Master of Arts in Political Science, major in Global Politics at the Ateneo de Manila University School of Social Sciences. He was a U.S. Department of State's Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative Academic Fellow at the University of Massachusetts Amherst Civic Engagement Cohort. As a disability rights advocate, he is currently working to help change the plight of people with disabilities in the Philippines through the Economic Empowerment Program of the Leonard Cheshire Disability Philippines Foundation as a training officer. He is also currently a member of the UNICEF Global Partnership on Children with Disabilities Youth Council and a Their World Global Youth Ambassador for Education. So with that, let us welcome Sir Marcos Apriani. Hello, thank you, Aki. Thank you, Ateneo Speed, for inviting me to this podcast. It is our honor and privilege to be talking about uh, different um, insights on how to build an inclusive workplace for people with disabilities, especially uh, in this uh, very non-inclusive society like the Philippines. <laughs> so yeah, this is a great start for us, especially for you uh, uh, students who are planning to venture into business or uh, want to have your own workplaces someday. So thank you for inviting us again. All right, so thank you, Sir Marcos. And just to kick things off today, um, Sir Marcos has prepared a sensitivity training for us so um, we'll be listening to that and then we will discuss with sir our topics later on so take it away sir so yeah before i go to the sensitivity training part i'll introduce first our organization so who are we 
So we're called as the Leonard Chichar Disability Philippines Foundation Incorporated, and we are a non-stock, non-profit, non-government organization that promotes and protects the rights of people with disabilities in the country. We were established in 2010. We're a pretty young organization in the country. So we just turned 10 last year, September of last year. But uh, we are a part of a much older organization, which is called Leonard Chichar. So we are their strategic partner. And Leonard Chichar is a organization as well. It's a non-government organization based in London, the United Kingdom, which also supports people with disabilities in their efforts to secure education, livelihoods, healthcare, and participation in society. And we, as an organization, is registered and accredited by the Department of Social Welfare and Development as a social welfare agency. So it's a proof that we are an accredited organization and we're not a bogus organization. So uh, we were founded by um, our founding chairperson. Her name is Lulu Reyes. She's a philanthropist and an artist. And what Leonard Tisher was founded, uh, Leonard Tisher in the UK was founded by Leonard Tisher himself. So uh, just uh, some brief background about him. Leonard Tisher is a former Royal Air Force. So he's, he's part of uh, the the family's Air Force. And his advocacy for people with disabilities started after the World War, wherein there was a lot of, uh, there were lots of soldiers and people who got wounded and amputated by the war. So what happened was a person came to Leonard Tisher's home to ask for help. And then later on, after so many years, Leonard Tisher um, realized that it was working, like having that hospice, having that institution that helps people with disabilities. That's why he called his home uh, Cheshire Home. So right now there's hundreds of Cheshire Homes in 54 countries all over the world because in the 19, uh, like 40 years after he established uh, Lionel Cheshire, he went to other countries to establish uh, different Cheshire Homes, not just in the UK, but also in other parts of the world. So yeah, just a fan fact, uh, that photo was taken in front of the Buckingham Palace when Leonard Tisher received his Order of Merit Award from the Queen herself. So that's why Her Majesty the Queen is also our uh, patron in our organization. So our, uh, our main objective in Leonard Tisher is for, uh, to help people with disabilities. And this is... Uh, stipulated in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, or UNCRPD, which the Philippines is a signing, mem uh, signing member state. So uh, there's around 30 plus rights explicitly written in the United Nations Convention, but we just focus on the right to education, the right to work employment, and then the right to equal opportunity and participation in society. And these are all translated into our three core programs. First is the inclusive education, where we promote access to quality education for children with disabilities. This is different with the usual, uh, with special education, because in special education, you separate children with disabilities uh, with uh, children without disabilities. But in inclusive education, in a human rights-based framework, we believe that 
a learner with disability will fully thrive in an inclusive setting or in a regular classroom. Our second program is the Young Voices, where we promote leadership skills for youth with disabilities and support the empowerment to become future advocates of their rights, according to the UNCRPD. So before I became an employee of Leonard Tisher Philippines, I was actually a beneficiary as well of this program. So this is where I hone my skills as a student leader. And we did this because we believe that um, we need future leaders who are empowered because the, the sector is pretty aging. The leaders are boomers, so we need new people who will forward the development agenda of the disability sector. And now, uh, the program that concerns the Ateneo Speed, uh, the partnership with Ateneo Speed is economic empowerment. And this is where we support and enable people with disabilities to find meaningful employment and achieve economic independence. So we have two tracks here. First is the wage employment, where we refer people with disabilities uh, in uh, open employment setups, like in companies and uh, small, medium enterprises. And also we have livelihoods. Uh, we provide uh, uh, livelihoods to those people who can't enter formal employment. For example, in rural areas, they don't have access to these companies, to these uh, different workplaces. And most of people with disabilities there are uneducated, making them uh, not qualified for uh, formal employment. So what we give them is uh, assistance in having a livelihood. So that's it for the programs of the Leonard to share disability. And now let's go to uh, understanding disability. I think you know this as as a organization which uh, mainly focuses on the rights of people with disabilities. So uh, in the development sector, numbers in numbers we trust. We, because it is through statistics, it is through data that we uh, base our programs, our projects that we'll be implementing in the community. So globally, there's around 1 billion people living with disabilities. And that's according to the World Health Organization. That means 15% of any given population is experiencing some form of disability. So that gives us one in every seven people has a disability. But in the local context, according to the then National Statistics Office, now Philippine Statistics Authority, there's only 1.7% of Filipinos with disabilities. So there's really a huge discrepancy between the two statistics because the WHO and the World Bank said that 15% of any given population has disability, but for us, it's only 1.7%. So that's a huge gap. And some of the factors that, uh, that there's, there's a reason between the gap is that before the UNCRPD, the way we understood disability varies country to country, community to community, culture to culture, context to context. But in the Philippines, surprisingly, and interestingly, the way we understand disability varies city to city or municipality to municipality, province to province. It's because we don't have that one understanding of what disability is. So 
that's where the underreporting overreporting comes in and also some people uh, it's still sti uh, there's still stigma with disability so some people are hiding their children because they have impairments huh? some people don't know that they have disability so these are some factors that affects the, the data data is really a problem uh, when it comes to the disability sector we don't have that uh, accurate number yet on how people on how many people with disabilities there is in the country so and also there's a huge number of people with disabilities who aren't working and this is where we partner with different organizations with different stakeholders hopefully that we could increase the number of people with disabilities will who are productive in the society But who are persons with disabilities? No? So I have two definitions here. So first is the, my definition uh, is by the Magna Carta for disabled persons. And the other is by the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. According to the Magna Carta in 1992, this was prior to the amendment. It says that disabled persons are those suffering from restriction of different abilities as a result of a mental, physical, sensory or sensory impairment to perform activity or uh, in a manner or within the range considered normal for human beings. So the, the stress now is with the word normal. No? As you can see, I highlighted the word normal because in 1992, the way we understand disability, it's very medical. So there's a dichotomy between normal and abnormal. So those are some, for example, you only have one eye. So that's not normal. You're limping, that's not normal. So there's really dichotomy between the two because it's medical. But then the Magna Carta was amended when we signed the UN Convention no, on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And the UN Convention provided, provided a more, a broader definition of what disability is. And it goes this way. It says that persons with disabilities are those who have long-term physical mental, intellectual, or sensory impairments, which interaction with various barriers may hinder their full and effective participation in society on an equal basis with others. So you can see here that having disability is not just about having an impairment, but it is with that interaction of that impairment to your barrier that makes you disabled. So this brings us to this equation. Impairment, which is something natural because it's in your body. And you uh, impairment plus barrier, which is societal. So it is society that creates barrier is equal to disability. Having an impairment doesn't qualify you to have a disability, but you should encounter some barriers in society for you to become disabled. And it is actually the barrier that disables you, not your body, okay? So disability now is interaction between a person's impairment and attitudinal as well as environmental barriers that hinder their full and effective participation in society on an equal basis with others. So uh, because if you remove the barrier, then you're just a person with impairment. You don't feel any barrier at all. You just, for example, you're a person in a wheelchair and then you're able to access different services, you're able to access different places, uh, you can navigate wherever you are. 
and then you don't have any problem you don't uh, you don't encounter uh, discrimination so you are not a person with disability you're just another person who happens to be using a wheelchair so that's the difference but if that person in a wheelchair for example is cannot access some buildings because there's no ramp just no elevator so there's a barrier there's a physical barrier thus making him disabled so yeah that's it and with the word disabled it is actually in a social in a social model of disability the word disabled means you are being disabled by the society not by your body okay so Kanina, I said that I identify myself as disabled, you know, because um, I see that I am disabled by society. I still have barriers to face every day. That's why I consider myself as a disabled person. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the way we understood disability varies country to country, you know, context to context. And it is because of the following, sorry. Uh, no. And it is because of the following paradigms or models. The paradigms or the models are the way we understand disability. No? So first model is the moral or the religious model. This is where we see disability as a test of morality and faith. So if you lack some morality, then probably you'll, that's the reason why you have an impairment, you have a disability. Or maybe in the Philippines, there's this concept of lihi. No? You're conceived out of something. Maybe your mom loves to eat crabs when, you, when uh, she was pregnant. That's why now you walk sideways. No? So, pinaglihi ka daw sa crab. So, yun. Some people are conceived out of ginger. That's why they have club foot, uh, club uh, hands. So, yun. There's no scientific evidence as to uh, the cost of that disability. Or maybe you were cursed by your neighbor or your mother-in-law doesn't like you. So you were, uh, you were cursed. So that's the reason why you have disability. So that's very, very moral, very religious. No? And some people also think that if you pray enough, then you will be cured. Or maybe you're not praying enough. That's why you're not cured that's why your impairment is not healed or is not cured no but also in some literature like in india uh there was a case study in a village in india that someone's disability is a is a product of over anunaman uh too much faith as you can see in india there are, you have uh, lots of gods and goddesses right and then uh, there's one god, I guess, who has several limbs. So there was a kid there who had eight limbs. But for the parents, it's just okay because for them, it's just a gift of God. So that's the, that's the moral and religious uh, model of disability. In the Philippines as well, if you have a kid with autism or a kid with Down syndrome, some families think it's a good luck or a good charm for business. So they did. I mean, how could you think of your kid as a lucky charm to your business, right? It's very, it's somehow absurd, but um, that happens. 
next model of char uh, disability is the charity, where we see people with disabilities as victims of their impairment. So uh, for a charity model, what's, uh, what uh, we focus more on the concept of AWA or PT. No? And we see that if we are um, people without disabilities, we see that we have some sort of responsibility to these people. And that's why we need to help them. No? Uh, that's why even Leonard shared before, uh, it was actually a charity organization. But, but now, because as it evolves, it became a development organization rather than just charity organization. Because that's what happened. Uh, that's what happened with organization. Parang energy share thought that because he's a member of the Royal Air Force, he has some responsibility to these people. So somehow he put himself in the pedestal for doing that because he thinks that he's higher than these people. No, charity is not bad. Philanthropy is not bad, but the help shouldn't stop there because. Disability is a systemic issue, and doing charity or philanthropy wouldn't uh, wouldn't address the different systematic the uh, systematic uh, inequalities that people with disabilities face every day. Next model is the medical, where we see the impairment of a person as a cause of their disability. So that means if you're impaired, then you are disabled. And in the medical model. The medical practitioners thought that they could address the issue of disability, the concept of disability. They think that by providing medical auxiliary services to these people, they will become quote unquote normal and they could be normal in society. No? They think that people or human beings are machine. No? This is why. And if there's something wrong with the machine, what do you do? Is you try to fix it. That's what we. That's what they tried to do with uh, people with disabilities before. They tried to fix these people. They tried to cure their disabilities because they think that if you have an impairment, then you're not normal and you can't function in society if you have an abnormality or if you have some certain condition. But it's a huge. It's a huge shift, we call it a paradigm shift, when the medical understanding of disability became social. So this is where the social construction of disability came in. The activists, the academics uh, already realized that actually disability is a social construction because it is actually the barrier that disables a person. Because in the medical model, by providing a certain certain medical uh, uh, intervention to a person with disability, or for example, you bring him or her or there in the, them in the rehab center and they will be uh, rehabilitated. It doesn't guarantee them that they will be able to go to school, they will be able to go to work, you know? So that's why it is actually the barrier that disables a person, not his or her or their body. And uh, in the social model, we think that the, uh, how we address disability is actually societal now. So it's a social issue now, rather than just a medical issue. 
because the medical issue can be addressed by the medical uh, community, no? But in social model, disability can't be addressed by, by medical practitioners because it is a social issue now. It's like poverty, no? Can, can poverty be cured? Can be addressed by doctors? Certainly not. Same with disability. It needs to, uh, uh, we need to remove different barriers in the society that makes people with disabilities disabled. And now we are in a rights-based model. So in a human rights-based model, we see that it is actually a combination of social and medical. So we need to address some individual uh, conditions by providing medical services and as well as removing the barriers that still hinders people with disabilities uh, effective participation in society. No? And in the rights-based model, we have this slogan that says, nothing about us without us. So you can't really do something for the sector without even asking them. And it, that's because we are the experts of ourselves. No? And you can't do something for us without even consulting them. And in the human rights-based model, we believe that people with disabilities can contribute something. They're not just beneficiaries of development, but also they are contributors to development. So that's it. If you have some questions, it's okay, Haki. No? Or our other guests, if they have questions, clarifications, I would love to hear some questions or this feedback. Okay. For me, I think our guest, if they have any, um, yeah. you can just chat it also. But mm -hmm. it's an interesting, I've never heard of the paradigms before. There's like a different dimensions for that. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Or maybe you could ask later, naman. Yeah. Para, yeah. So, yeah, we've been talking about barriers that disabled people with disabilities. So these are the three most uh, evident barriers. No? First is the environmental or the physical barrier. So these are structures that prevent or reduce access to people with disabilities, such as infrastructure, transportation, uh, technology information, etc. No? In the Philippines, the context of the Philippines is really hard. Like, our places are really disabling. No? It's rare for you to see some people who are independent because it's inaccessible. No? Our, our transportation system, the jeepneys aren't accessible. The trains aren't accessible. So it really prevents, uh, it really hampers the productivity of a certain person. So. And next is the institutional model, ah, sorry, institutional barrier that refers to the policies and practices or activities that exclude people with disabilities. So institutional can also be systemic. You need to change certain culture, you need to change certain um, policy, no? So it's really the environment that you have to change in order to remove this barrier. But uh, the third one, actually, it's the cheapest. Well, actually, there's no cost in breaking it because you might provide a very accessible environment, physically, phys physical, physically accessible environment, and you might have the best policies, 
But if there's still negative perceptions toward people with disabilities, then there's still barriers and that would still disable these people. Okay. So this also it this also exists within institutions and organizations, no? as well as families. No? Within the communities, there's also some discrimination. No? The disability sector is a very heterogeneous group. And actually, within the organization, there's some microaggressions. Some families are actually very ableist. No? In context of the Filipino, for example, they won't allow their kid or their child with disability to work because they see that they can do it because they have some sort of some form of disability. So, dun pa lang, sa pamilya pa lang, there's discrimination and ableism. So, ayan. So, disability is an evolving concept and results from the interaction between a person's impairment and obstacles, such as physical barriers and prevailing attitudes that prevent their participation in the society. So it's a evolving concept, no? Uh, before, there's no art of hearing group. They all belong to the deaf community. But now, because of the activism of some hard of hearing uh, advocates, they separated themselves to the deaf community. So there's, uh, before, they just lump in the deaf community. Lahat ng may hearing impairment. But now, magkaiba na. No? So maybe in the near future, we'll have new models to disability because it's an evolving concept. It's not, it's not a medical term that you just have one definition because it's a social construction. So as the society evolves, the concept of disability also evolves because if we might encounter different disability uh, impairment or we might remove some barriers, therefore changing the understanding of what disability is. Yeah. So some people with disabilities look like this. So as you can see the photos, yeah, it's very uh, obvious, it's very apparent because they use some assistive devices. It might be wheelchair or crutches or canes. No? But also there are people with disabilities who have non-apparent disabilities. No? They don't use any medical uh, device, they don't use any assistive device that would make you identify they are people with disabilities. So here, I have three classifications of disability. So this might confuse you, but this is good that we discuss this. I put here three uh, classifications. First is the uh, classification by the National Council on Disability Affairs. So we have around one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We have nine classification. And then in the middle, we have six functional domains based naman on the Washington group of questions. But there's only five, interestingly, according to the WGQ. And on the rightmost part, there's nine types of disability naman according to the Department of Health. So this is where the confusion comes in because the NCDA or the National Council on Disability Affairs has a different classification compared to the DOH. Kaya, minsan, nakakagulo-gulo. No? So, but in the international context, they don't use, uh, they don't have different uh, types of disability. They just, uh, they, actually, in, 
in the Washington group of questions, you don't have to have a diagnosis of your, of your impairment. They just ask you certain questions, like do you have limitations in walking? Uh, they have a difficulty in walking, they have difficulty in seeing, even, even when wearing glasses. So that's it. Because in the international, with the WGQ, we're trying to understand disability beyond the medical understanding. That's why they don't ask you about your certain impairment. Do you have polio? Do you have cerebral palsy? Do you have depression? Do you have anxiety? They don't do that in the international context, in the global context. They just ask you about your functionalities. If there's some limitations with your functionalities. So that's it. But in the Philippines, we use three. We use the NCDA uh, border solution. No, it depends. Actually, if you go to DOH, they're gonna, they're gonna use the DOH. So yeah, no, there's really confusion. But I hope Sana we will be able to adapt the WGQ questions. I think also one problem with that is when you're applying for an ID and then if you apply the WGQ questions, some people considering the Philippines as a developing country. Uh, as a misinformed <laughs> mis society, we might be able to, people might be able to abuse it because you don't have to present a medical certificate if you are, if you have some limitations. So maybe that's why they, they really require you to, to submit a medical certificate instead of just asking several questions about your impairment. So that's it. So let's go now to the person-first language. The UNCRPD advocates for the person-first language. Person-first meaning we need to recognize the person first before his or her or their disability. No? Don't use, oh, sorry. Uh, just say individual or person instead of saying that case, patient, problem, victim. Case usually it's used by people in the social work sector in the community uh, social work field because they, they see it as a case or a case study. Patient is used by medical medical doctors. Problem is a negative word. Victim is also negative. For example, some people say polio victim. So polio is negative, and victim is not negative. So double negative the term. That's why we don't use it. So the politically correct term is really person with disability. Actually, person-first language is not just about critical, critical correctness, no? It's about giving these people the dignity that they deserve, no? It's more dignified if you call them as a person with disability rather than calling them so, uh, with some euphemisms, no? Uh, what are some euphemisms? Uh, differently abled, handicapped, no? Handicap, the history of handicap started when people with physical impairments, they handicap to, to, to beg for some arms. That's why they call their handicap. They, they use their cap as, uh, when they were begging arms in the streets, they use their cap to, to ask for money, no? Differently able is another euphemism made by some white people 
oh, we don't use it because everyone is different, no? That's why you, you can tell that the disability community is a differently able community because everyone is different, okay? no? Same with special. Special is another euphemism, no? Because we're trying to other these people, if, no? Um, I mean, imagine if you are a mother, no? You're a father of five kids, and then you call your, you have a, per, uh, you have a kid with autism, and then you call him or her, my special kid. How about your, how about your other four children? Aren't they special? No, that's why we don't call them special because it's going to be unfair as well to those people without disabilities that you just call those people with disabilities as special. How about those without disabilities? Aren't they special enough? No, and also we don't come with, yeah, I will say it. I always say that I don't, I, we don't come with ice creams or lecture plans or extra sauce that you can call us special. And then Yon, uh, other terms, uh, just say person with disability if you're not sure about the condition. No, person with hearing impaired, ah, with, sorry, person with physical impairment rather than saying crippled, lame, deformed. No? Person with learning impairment, don't say mentally retarded, defective, what else? Uh, Brenda, Brenda, brain damage. No. Person with Down syndrome, don't say mongoloid, so it's really a no-no. Person, deaf person, no. don't call them deaf and mute or deaf and dumb. So for me, uh, I use person with disability as someone who has cerebral palsy. I use it in papers, like person with disability, but when I say, sometimes when it's just a casual conversation, I say that I am a disabled person. Why? Because I have a deeper understanding of what disability is. And for me, I am disabled by the society, not, by, not just by my body, not by my body, but I am disabled by society. That's why I say I'm a disabled person. Disabled is a really powerful, political term rather than uh, compared to person with disability because it you know, it means that you're still disabled by the society but don't assume if you refer to someone don't assume that they are disabled just say person with disability like for me because i'm more i don't know i see it as an identity no it's an identity now i like deaf people they're very open to it they call you call them deaf not really person who is deaf, person with hearing impairment. It's because they see themselves as a community. They have, they have a different culture. That's why they are deaf. They are, they're, they're more comfortable with it rather than calling them person with deafness, person with hearing impairment. Ayan. Uh, little people is uh, the right term then when it comes to uh, persons with, it's a medical, persons with dwarfism. So the the right term is little people. I received yeah, thank you. Oh Alisa, Alisa or Eliza. This is really interesting discussion. Ah, thank you. Yeah, you can ask if you need to have some clarification or uh, just a reaction to what I'm saying. 
if you don't agree, then uh, maybe we could talk about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can. Okay, sorry. Uh, with disability sensitivity, we need to remember three things. No, each child with disability or each person with disability is an individual, a person, and not a disability. Usually, in the Philippine context, we usually call someone, oh, si bulag, oh, si bingi, or si pilay. So, they are, we call them by their disability, not by their names. No, or maybe sometimes. We also attach their disability to their names. Also, Singh Bulag, si Pedrong Binge. So, but we should remember that they are people and they have names and not a disability. Second, disability is not synonymous with illness. No, don't call children without disabilities or people with disabilities as without disability as normal because this gives an implication that people with disabilities are abnormal. And then third. Try not to make assumptions on what they can or can do. Don't be patronizing or sympathetic. Always ask if how could you support people with disabilities. Don't assume that if he or she is a person in a wheelchair, then definitely he or she needs some help. That you need to push them. For example, just always ask because sometimes it's really about the dignity of a person. Like. You, you're already assuming that this person can't do it. You know? So the better thing to do is always ask if how could you help them or if they need help. Don't assume that they can do something because that's ableism. And then I think this is my second to the last slide. So how do we achieve inclusion? Impairment plus accessible environment. So we remove the barriers, then definitely we could achieve inclusion. So as you can see, there's no disability anymore because there's no barrier. If there's no barrier, then there's no disability. And by removing barriers, then we could achieve inclusion. So yeah, I hope you could support us in our advocacy. So our advocacy has changed the way you see disability. So, thank you. All right, thank you so much, Sir Marcos, for that sensitivity training and um, really talking about disability um, with us today also. So really, I've, I've never seen those concepts before, um, especially the paradigms and the, yes, this is like a fresh perspective then. And thank you so much for sharing that with us today. So yes, um, I think we'll go to the discussion part of this session again. So, Okay, to kick things off lang. So, if, sir, so I've introduced you in a while ago and you've introduced your organization as well. Um, is it all right if you would want to like an introduction of yourself naman from you and an introduction of your um, organization now in the Philippines as well? So like uh, your own words as well. Oh, all right. So yeah, again, uh, I'm Marcus and I am a disabled person. So I was born with mild cerebral palsy. So to those of you who do not know, cerebral palsy is a condition that affects muscle tone, uh, bones, joints, speech. Um, basically, it affects how a person moves in a more coordinated 
uh, in a more coordinated way. No? So uh, the exact cause of CP isn't always known because some uh, cases are a result of um, abnormality with the fetus's uh, brain development when they were still uh, in their mother's wombs, but some also are because of uh, abnormalities in the, their delivery during birth. No? So for, for me also, I, I wasn't that sure what the real cause is, but yeah, I just recently, I actually, I, before I thought that my case was polio because I, I thought that is the most famous condition, most, yeah, I think it's the most famous impairment before. So I thought like, okay, I think I, I have polio. But then when I worked for Leonard sure, I realized that having some colleagues who have background in disability, uh, we have physical therapy, physical therapists in the office. They told me that, oh, maybe you're not polio. You were really born with cerebral palsy. So yeah, that's it. And now I'm working with the sector for 10 years now. So I started pretty late when with my advocacy to people with disabilities because before I wasn't really that apathetic when it comes to the sector, but it's just that I am not aware of the real struggles. So I, and I don't know how to help them as well. And also I think that uh, I couldn't provide something for the sector. That's why I didn't really join any organizations which uh, includes people with disabilities. But then when I entered college, that's where I was introduced to the sector because my dean at that time told me that, hey, uh, what if you, you want to do something for the sector? So I wasn't really sure that time. I, I'm having seconds because how, how? I don't know how to approach them. I don't know how to talk to them. So he gave me some tips. And then that was the first time I talked to a person in a wheelchair and that was really moving i think that my calling started that time i don't know i had that sense of uh comfort when i talked to that person i realized that oh this is what i'm missing like talking to someone in the sector and hearing their struggles hearing their stories and this is what i want to do in the future so that, that was a turning point in my life. That was in my junior year, I guess. So from then on, uh, I joined the Leonard Shares Young Voices. So some people approached me like, hey, you want to join this um, youth group for people with uh, youth with disabilities? So yeah, I, I joined them. And then when I graduated, I went to Manila. And then I joined Leonard Sherp or as an employee now. so yeah and I, I think about what i want to say is just it's it's never too late to find your passion and uh to do something for the sector you if you really care about no um you can well, what's important is just is you tr educate yourself about the struggles and really uh, immersing yourself to the community so that, and having that genuine concern and having that 
uh, interest in helping these people. So for me, and now with Leonard Chisher, our organization as a training officer, I am working towards the economic empowerment of these people. My work basically revolves around training people with disabilities to be, for them to become more uh, employable, to become more uh, labor market ready. And also I work with different stakeholders so that they could be more inclusive and they could be more accommodating to people with disabilities in their workplaces. And also, um, it's also part of my job, like advocacies and just sharing the information, sharing the knowledge of how we can help people with disabilities. How could we uh, understand more their plight? So yeah, that's it for me. So thank you, Sayidosa. Thank you for being comfortable with us to share your own personal journey also as an advocate. But yes, I truly share in that sentiment that uh, some of us really tend to compare ourselves to like mga established advocates or like yung mga, they know what they're saying na I can really think that, you know, it, it, your journey depends on you, you know, like how you do it at your own pace. And wonderful to hear about your organization as well. So just to give a face to them or like a vibe to your organization, just to ask also like, would you describe what how would you describe your organization's environment and their culture also? Our, uh, actually in Lenarchester, we work and we work for and we work with people with disabilities. So we are pretty inclusive in our organization. So it's a mix of people with and without disabilities. And our culture is really very humanitarian organization, very NGO. Uh, people are really passionate when it comes to helping with helping people with disabilities. Um, and actually, it's really hard because uh, the, the, the work doesn't stop in the office. So, and you will hear different stories from your beneficiaries. So sometimes, actually, we need help as well in uh, uh, in processing some things. So for example, we're going to the field, talking to people. It's hard if you hear some really touching stories and very difficult stories to process. But with my colleagues, they're very powerful, they're very passionate and they're very supportive as well when it comes to uh, helping each other and trying to just do the job of, of helping these people. So the culture is it's a supportive culture. The, 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 the relationship among is, each other is very, it's amazing because you can see that you share the same passion as these people. And it's not just about work. It's just, it's about having that passion, that vocation uh, for the community. That's it. So thank you also for that. I, I really think that it's really empowering to share and advocacy with a group of people. And um, I'm glad you found that, sir, with Leonard Cheshire and your organization. Um, so now delving into the discussion of more on inclusivity, um, just to start off this discussion, what, what would you say 
is the difference between diversity and inclusion in the workplace? Uh, so uh, diversity inclusion in the workplace is really a buzzword now for different companies, for different organizations. I think for me, diversity is about bringing different people together. But uh, on the other hand, inclusion is about giving these people from different backgrounds, different sexual orientation, gender, race, uh, or age, no? or, but inclusion is more about giving these people the voices that they could really provide something, that they could really contribute something to the table, not just mere representation. Having diversity does not equate to having an inclusion. Because you might be as a diverse organization as you can be, but it might not be that inclusive to these people. Yes, you are represented as a minority, but you don't have a voice. You can't have a voice to decide on something that affects or concerns the organization. So I think um, diversity, they, they go hand in hand. They, you can't just have diversity, it is really imperative for you to become as inclusive as possible, no? So that's it, that's the that's difference. Uh, diversity is about the people, but inclusion is about the voice of the people, providing the voice or giving them the platforms to speak for themselves. Right. That was a really clear distinction between the two, um, especially given the context of workplaces today. So with that, like, why is it important or why does it matter um, to give a platform like to include these voices? So in simpler terms, like why does um, this inclusion matter in the workforce? It's really important because we live in a diverse world and every voice matters, no? And uh, by providing the platform, providing inclusive policies, you will be really achieving a more open and a more accommodating workplace. Having that uh, diversity and inclusion in a certain organization, actually good because there's, I, I can uh, provide like three things, I guess. First, it's good for your talent because you'll uh, you'll have a very diverse talent, so everyone is represented. Second, it's good for your business because uh, in the context of disability, for example, uh, there's a huge untapped market of people with disabilities. So there's a lot of skilled people with disabilities, but they aren't included because they can't access uh, certain organizations or because of the processes that is very exclusive. And also, it, the impact of it is that it's good for your business because people will see that you're doing the right thing. You know? Oh, you're hiring people with disabilities. You're not just hiring, but you're also giving them the, the voice in your organization. You know? They're not just tokens, but you see that their, uh, their employment, their organization, their company, is something that contributes to the main goal of whatever your organization is. So 
the impact of it would be appreciated by the public more and people will be more patronizing of your products or your service if ever they they know that you are hiring people with disabilities and that goes with other sectors as well um, like the lgbt or those people with uh, uh, certain conditions no? Um, that, that, that's really true. Like these days when companies do it for the sake of doing it, but then as a company, you should also see the value of their productivity as well. And I think that's really important. Um, yes. Hmm. And what's also important is that um, intention, I mean, there are some companies who have good intention. No? They have good intentions, but they don't know how to do it or they're doing it wrong. I mean, Yes, you, you have the good intention to help these people, but actually, you're not doing it right. For example, they're going to they're gonna employ people with not so, uh, with, uh, for example, they're going to hire people with disabilities just because for the sake of hiring them, not because they see that these people can, can contribute something. No? They, they, some companies hire unskilled people with disabilities, but because they think that they can have some uh, tax rebates or they think that they do it for clout, they do it for a uh, good, um, how do you call it, reputation, but actually those people inside are actually exploited. So that's also another story. So, so what's really important is that these companies should ask these people how to be more inclusive rather than just doing it uh, for themselves, just to feel good about themselves. All right, so thank you for that, Sir Marcos. And I think on the same um, topic of companies, as you mentioned, your company does these trainings for, I mean, your organization does these trainings for companies, um, sensitivity training, and then, um, so with that, like regarding um, what you do with these companies as well. So what is the most important aspect that you really want to emphasize with them? Like what do you really want to bring out of these sessions with the companies? For me, the very first stage towards empowering these people is having awareness of what the sector is all about, of what the movement is all about. You can't do something for the sector if you're not aware of what their plight is. So it's really important for me to be, for these people to be educated of the struggles of the sector and through learning these struggles and educating yourself, you will know how to be, you will know how to address, ah, sorry, you will know how to implement, how to formulate policies in order for your organization to be more inclusive. No? So I always say that you know, awareness is really the first thing that you need to have. By having that awareness, you will now, second stage should be participation. So you will now have the agency, whether you're going to participate to these people or not. No? So because, I mean, no one's forcing you to help these people, but because you have that awareness, you will now have the, the informed decision whether you're going to help these people or not. And if you're gonna help these people, that's where empowerment comes in for me. So you're now empowered that you can help these people 
without patronizing them, without putting yourself in the pedestal. All right, so thank you for that again. And I guess on the topic also of awareness, um, what are your common misconceptions about PWDs in the workplace? That, and are there benefits of having PWDs in the workplace also? So like, how do you tackle these topics during those um, sessions with them? There's a lot of misconceptions actually. And it, it, it all boils down to an awareness of the disability of, as a concept. No? Uh, some people think that a lot of people with disabilities can't do something, no? Or a lot of people think as well that disability is just confined within physical disability. They don't see other disabilities as a disability. And I think it's because you know, don't have the right awareness as to what disability is. And a lot of people think as well that we're hiring, ah, a certain organization is hiring, it's because of PT, out of PT, not because these people have the same ability as other people without disabilities. But yeah, the misconception is actually on what, how, how what can, or what, what people with disabilities can or cannot do. So that's the number one misconception, I guess. Um, so in line with that, like, would you say that there are benefits to doing so, like to really employing these um, PWDs also? Like what benefits does it bring as well to these companies? Well, when we look at the policy context, uh, you're entitled actually to have some, uh, rebates from the government if you hire people with disabilities but also uh, culturally in the organization the benefit is more of that relationship uh, among your workforce that they see that oh you're a uh, your organization hiring these people then probably i know someone who has a disability then i could also ask them to apply in this organization so that gives an, a positive a picture of the public uh, of your organization because it, it, it's going to be a, a uh, it could provide a better reputation for your organization if you hire these people and of course it's the right thing to do as always no? uh, you can never go wrong with inclusion that is true you can never really go wrong with inclusion I'd like to quote sir on that um, so it, it is true that we really have to start with awareness to really guide our actions also because sometimes um, I think if we do make mistakes, then that's part of the process naman right? So like it's really, it's okay to make mistakes and just to keep learning from there. And yes, on that discussion of like learning and like the progress of like society as well, um, now we're gonna go like a big wider scope of things and to talk about like with our society today, like how far do you think we still have to go in terms of inclusivity in the workplace? We have achieved uh, several milestones when it comes to inclusion in the Philippines, but uh, there's still a long way to go. 
we always say that in the sector. There's still a long way to go before we achieve full inclusion. If there's still a person with disability who can't access a certain uh, opportunity, employment opportunity because of his or her disability, then uh, we still have our, uh, lots of work to do. No? And we need every sector, we need uh, of the community, of the society, so that we could achieve this inclusion that we're aiming for. I mean, for example, in, the, in a certain organization, we might provide the best policies, the best accommodations, but if the people aren't accepting to this community, then there's still some problems that we need to address. So we need everyone and we need to make them understand that inclusion matters and inclusion works. So with that question, like that, like a broader perspective, we have follow-up questions from both of our um, guests today also, see Christian and Alisa. So Christian's question was that, um, how do you, what do you think about the government's response to this, um, um, this action towards inclusivity in the workplace? Like, have they done anything to making these systems better or abolishing these systems? What would you have to say? It's okay, we won't. We'll make sure that... Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, because it's also a call to action. Um, we, have, so, uh, we have some very good policies, actually. When you go to the international level, if you compare our policies to the policies of other countries, ours is better, is better than theirs. But we have a problem with implementation of these disability policies and laws. It stops, well, even in the sector, sometimes our work stops when we try to lobby certain policy. After we lobby some policy and they make it as a law, the work stops there, but actually the work starts when we try to implement the, when we implement the, these policies that we make sure that these policies are working. Like for example, even our Magna Carta for people with disabilities, we already have Magna Carta prior to the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. That means in 1992, 28 years ago, we've already recognized that these people exist. But what do we do? Well, what do we do now? Like we, we're, we're still excluding them. So that's, there's really a problem with implementation. And you know, you know, as, a, as a weak state, we don't really have uphold the rule of law. Uh, you know, that, that's really a problem in the Philippines, the implementation of the laws and poor uh, monitoring of the laws. So that's where the problem comes in. But when it comes to policy-wise, we're really good at it. No? Well, not really undermining naman yung mga, some cities who are really good with the implementation of the law. So, yun. Okay naman sa kanila. But then, for others talaga, they don't know that these laws exist. So, that's where the problem comes in. And also, we don't have to have, like, new laws i i think it's all been there what we need is better implementation and really strict implementation of the law 
That is true. Um, really think with I mean we have the resources naman like as a country overall we can do these things naman but it really lacks that consistency and competence also. Well, so that's really another topic to discuss then. And then another question also um, from Alisa comes from your sensitivity training a while ago. So I will read it out but sure you can read it on your own also. Um, so how do you think the different paradigms or different contexts like international understanding versus Philippines' understanding, different use of languages, diversity versus inclusion, disability as a concept, have affected the overall approach of or perspective to the sector in the Philippines. So she asked this because even advocacy groups or inclusive companies have different understandings. And how can we resolve these different understandings so we can better achieve inclusion and provide stronger support? Really nice question, Alisa. No? Uh, it affects the, the models affects how we formulate our policies. No? If you think that it's still a charity issue, it's a social welfare issue, then what you will do is you give dole out to these people, you give them some sort of help without even asking them what they, they need. No? So it really affects like the different paradigms are affected. Tamas, Tamas, the Alisa, that it's also uh, the understanding of different organizations also vary. That's why some organizations just focus on medical. No? They don't focus on the holistic development of a person with disability. They just focus on providing auxiliary services, like their, 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 work, uh, their work stops when they provide wheelchairs to these people. Their work stops when they provide hearing aids to these people. But you just address one aspect of disability didn't really address the holistic uh, um, personhood no, of that person. Uh, Yon, uh, I think what we could do to address this is that we educate, we try to educate ourselves and we need to have deeper understanding of what disability is rather than just focusing on one aspect of disability no make it could make ano maka medical nila or uh, some people it's a welfare issue rather than just a social issue so don talaga yun that's the important as well of the paradigms no? yun ang ko kanina sabihin, na, that's important paradigms because it affects how we deal with these people no if you think that it's just you know, welfare, it's just medical, then your work will stop there, most probably. But then if you have deeper understanding of what the real issues, the issues, the real issues are, then we'll be able to implement better policies, better programs that could really help uh, in the inclusion of these people in the society. Very nice question. Thank you so much for that. Um, really is a nice question. It really gives a lot of... Uh, let me add pala. Ayun, uh, for example, sa charity, ang nakikita ko, usually in, especially in rural areas, uh, it's still charity. No? Uh, they, they think that it's a welfare issue. That's why sometimes the mayor nagpabigay ng, for example... Christmas package among people with disabilities. Parang, at the end of the day, didn't really address 
yung problema nung yung issue ng disability. You just gave them a basket of pang nochebuena. Hindi naman mababawasan yung barriers nun for that person na, na may kapansanan. So, uh, charity, awa ang pinapairal usually rather than just providing more opportunities for the, the community. Ayan. Thank you for adding that, sir. Yun nga din. I think it really goes back to the implementation then. Parang everything that is done or being done right now, parang mema. Like, may, may magawa lang or may masabing nagawa lang. Ganun. Um, so, yun. And, ah, dagdag ko din dyan. Uh, for example, in the implementation of the laws as well, partial implementation is no, ah, partial compliance is no compliance at all. So that's what we need to remember. For example, in accessibility, uh, accessibility law, they think that ah, oh, okay, I'm gonna provide some ramps, but they didn't really secure that these ramps are have the right measurements, have the right inclination. Natama yung ramps na ginagawa. They think that by providing ramps, eh, nakalusot na sa batas, but no, it doesn't work that way. That should be right. That should be uh, consulted with the community rather than just providing something because for just for the sake of providing. So yon, no compliance is no ah partial compliance is no compliance, non compliance at all. That is true. Then like I've seen yung mga videos, yung mga ramps na medyo it's really Tip. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, you did say you have these this um assistive, um what what do we call them again? Assistive. Ah, accessible facility. Accessible. Access facility. Okay, access facilities. Parang it's not even the right measurement of yeah. the right implementation. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um yeah, I really think one second to the last question. This question is from me, the one I think I would like to know um. Where would the change? Where would we? Where should we find change more, or should strive for change more? Do we um strive it for like the attitudinal, like we change how people perceive, how they talk about PWDs, how they see PWDs, or do we change it institutionally? So from um the rights to the social barriers, like how which one should go first, or if one should go first. Um, where is the greater impact? I don't think that we need to prioritize when it comes to addressing barriers, no. But uh, since I mentioned kanina that attitudinal barrier is the hardest to break, no. Now we might have a very physically accessible environment and very good laws and policies, but when it comes to attitude of people. I think it's the hardest, right? It's the hardest to break and we need to work on that. But also, you can't just change people's attitudes without also addressing some barriers. We need to invest on accessible infrastructure. We need to, inv uh, we need to formulate better policies. So they go hand in hand. No? It's not to prioritize because those are barriers that people with disabilities encounter every day and you can't and with the attitudinal naman there's no cost in it eh. so you can like, 
this is what we're doing is we're trying to break some barriers, no? Like uh, we're uh, having that education what disability is. So um, since I mentioned that there's no cost in it, I think that's the easiest way for us to contribute towards having an inclusive environment for everyone. Now, by talking to your family, by talking to your friends, talking to your colleagues, we might be able to change people's perspectives in disability. And by that, by, by changing their attitudes, by changing their perspectives, that could be already a big help so that uh, we could have more uh, tangible changes no, in the society. And because we can't really we can't really break the barrier of uh, environmental barriers because you know binaman tayo lahat may pera so that we could invest in infrastructure but what we could really contribute is changing people's perspectives you know? so yeah especially as you know as people from the academe um that's the least you can do you know? to change uh, people's ideas or to educate someone um, a simple tweet can change someone's perspective. No, they could. Um, internet is ubiquitous, too, so anyone can have access to your information that you're sharing. And yun. and don't be so patronizing. Yun yung, uh, ko lang, don't be so patronizing for these people, so that they could have the empowerment that they want and uh, that they really need. Uh, thank you also again for that, sir. And I guess we've been commenting on like present infrastructures, policies, and how disability is shaped today, um, defined rather. Um, I think now for the last question, we look to the future in a month. Um, so given the opportunity to impart any advice to our future business leaders, policymakers, government officials listening, or basically the future minds of this society, what would you want to tell them and what would you want to impart to them? Uh, for me, I think for future business leaders, just be accepting and always consult with the sector if you want to help them. Don't just do it on yourself because it's really it will really take time for you to to be an inclusive workplace, to, to, to provide an inclusive workplace for everybody. And you can't do it alone. So you might be needing help from other people, from other organizations, from other agencies. So don't be too selfish when it comes to your advocacy or don't just do it alone because we'll need everybody's help for you to become inclusive and for you to become a diverse workplace and also i hope that we could really change our attitude our perspective and because having the right attitude having the right perspective can go a long way when it comes to helping these people and i hope that you could unlearn some things it's hard i know it's hard to unlearn some things and learn new things but that's where change will uh, start if you Try to change some, you know, uh, some 
deeply embedded uh, perspectives or like mindset uh, towards these people. No, it's hard to change a culture, but uh, learning some things and relearning some things and learning some things is one way to start to change our culture and to change the society we live in. Thank you so much, Sue. That was a very fitting end to this discussion we have with you from start to end. Um, it was great to have you as our guest today. And thank you, for, thank you so much for an insightful session from the sensitivity training to really delving deeper into these questions that we have prepared also. And we are so grateful for your presence today, for your organization also that's also working towards an inclusive society. Um, so thank you so much, Sir Marcos, that we're still able to aspire for a working environment towards the sector. So this has been another episode for Aspire on the Speak Out podcast. Sir, would you like to say anything like as a last closing statement? Any uh, okay, for me, uh, thank you, Aki. Thank you, Speed. Uh, for me, just don't stop learning and educate more people about disability and how inclusion matters and how inclusion works because this is our this is our job as people who are uh, people with people with the knowledge the right knowledge about the sector and i think it's really important for us to share this knowledge not just um because it's really the hardest thing to do, but it is the cheap, uh, like what I said earlier, no? it is a, it's the hardest thing to do. Changing people's minds is the hardest thing to do, but it is, there's no cost in changing people's mindset. So yeah, I hope that you could educate more people and talk to people with disabilities so that you will learn uh, more about their struggles and about the issues that confronting them. So yeah, that's all. So that was Sir Marcos Operiano, and we do hope you learned a lot from our speaker today who provided some really helpful insights, and I do think we can say with confidence that we learned a lot about PWDs and inclusive workplaces. Hopefully, their words have inspired you and have given you some thoughts to really reflect on on your own. So continue the conversation about inclusive workplaces with us by tuning in to the next episodes and by catching Aspire on Speed's official page. Um, soon. So once again, this is Aki signing out. So.